Good morning. It is so good to see everybody in this season of Thanksgiving uh, and gratitude. I want to tell you how thankful I am for you. This is actually today, today, December 1st, is actually my family's third year anniversary of being at this congregation. So thank you for putting up with me for three years, and I, I hope you'll put up with me for another 30 years. I so, I so appreciate this church family and I so appreciate God for what he's doing in this church family. So thank you for being who you are, and thank you for allowing God to use you, and thank you uh, for loving me and my family. We appreciate you more than we can possibly say. We're starting a new series this morning, and I'm really excited about it. We've been going through the Gospel of John all year, and this series is going to be slightly different. It's not specific to the Gospel of John, though it pertains to the Gospel of John, and to all four of our Gospel accounts. Because Jesus, you probably know this, Jesus didn't refer to himself very often, if at all, as the Christ. That's how we tend to refer to Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Uh, and that's how others referred to Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. But when Jesus referred to himself, the title that Jesus used for himself was Son of Man, right? Son of Man. And that's why we're going to talk about that this, this month. What does it mean for Jesus to take on the title and the role of the Son of Man? What does that phrase mean? Well, in one sense, it, it simply means human being. The son of the Hebrew word for man is Adam, and that sounds like Adam, right? So the son of Adam. So son of man simply means in one sense human being, but Jesus is taking on the role and claiming to be the, the son of man, the human being. And I want us to stop and think about that this morning. What does it mean for Jesus to be the human being, the son of man? The one, the human, that other humans should have been. The human who does what other humans should have done. Jesus is, and I know we're thinking, well, but isn't Jesus God? <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly what John begins his gospel account with, right? That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word who is divine, but Jesus is both divine and he is the most human one you say how, how can somebody be the most human one either you're human or you're not right you're either a human being or you're not a human being I would say no no not really Jesus is more human being than you Jesus is more human than me Jesus is more human than any of us he is he is the most human one and let's think about that for a second. Here's, here's my metaphor for us. If, if someone had a check, oh, let's go back. So let, let's say someone has, has a checking account with hundreds of millions of dollars. I can't even really imagine that, but just imagine. Somebody has a checking account with hundreds of millions of dollars, and they begin writing checks for a million dollars apiece, right? Just imagine a million dollar check, and they make out a check for one million dollars, and they tear it out of their checkbook, and they give it to somebody, and then the somebody who receives it wads it up and throws it away, okay? 
And then they write another million dollar check and the person who gets it uses it as a tissue and blows their nose on it and, and throws it away. And then they write another million dollar check and somebody turns it over and begins to take notes on it and uses it like scrap paper, right? And then somebody gives them another million, a different person a million dollar check and they, they see somebody that's wounded and they use it to bandage a wound. You think, well, that was nice of you, but you could have bandaged a lot more wounds than that, right? So they used it to bandage a wound. And then somebody takes a check and uses it as a paper airplane. And then somebody else finally takes that check and deposits it into their account and uses it wisely. Now, of all of those pieces of paper, which of those pieces of paper was the most check of all of them? It was the last one, the one that was used how it was designed to be used, the one who fulfilled the purpose for which it was made, the one who really was and became exactly what it was always designed to be. Of all of those checks, that last check was the most check of all of them. And of all the human beings, Jesus is the most human of us all. So, here's what I want us to discover this morning. That in Jesus, we're not only invited to see what real humanity looks like. You might even say what real humanity should look like. But more than that, in Jesus, we're invited to become truly human. In Jesus we're invited, as, John, as John's account puts it, as Jesus puts it in John's account, we're invited to be born again, right? And that everyone who believes in him should become children of God. This is what human beings were designed to be. This is what human beings were destined to be. And in Jesus Christ, we not only get a glimpse of what humanity should have been, what humanity could be, what humanity should be, but in Jesus, we are invited to become like him as he is, to become truly Human. This is why when Paul writes about what it is to be in Christ, he talks about it as a new humanity, a new anthropos, a new kind of human being. You stop being the old kind of human and you start being the new kind of human that is created in the likeness of Jesus. And so that's what we have to kind of wrap our mind around. What is it that human beings are supposed to be? What is it that human beings could be? What is it that human beings should be? What is it that we can be in Jesus? And that's what we're going to look at in Psalm chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, we read this psalm already once this morning. We're going to read it again. And I want us to really take it to heart. Psalm chapter 8 and verse 1. The psalmist begins, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. This actually, I read in a commentary this week that this is the, this is the only psalm that's addressed entirely to God. 
And, and the psalmist is just overwhelmed with how awesome and how majestic and how wonderful and how powerful God is. That even infants, even babies, every time they babble and coo, they give glory to our God. He rules and he reigns above the heavens and he has stilled his enemies and the avenger. Verse three, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man, Ben Adam, the son of Adam, that you care for him? Now, when the psalmist says that, man and the son of man, is he talking about one specific man? No, he's talking about us human beings. And follow the psalmist's train of thought. He's saying, when I, when I look up at the, the heavens, the moon and the stars, and I see what you've created, the work of your hands, then I realize how tiny I am, how insignificant we are. And I'm just absolutely blown away that you would even care about us. And isn't it amazing that the psalmist would say this so long ago? I don't think the psalmist had a telescope, right? You know, and the psalmist never shot up in a rocket ship and, and looked around space. But we've done that. And the more we discover, the more we realize just how vast the heavens are. How mighty and powerful our God must be. How big this universe is. And then when you ponder that, you can't help but realize how small we are. And you think, God, if you're so big and so awesome and so majestic and so mighty and so glorious and you made all of this, I'm just a speck of dust in the universe. We're, humanity is nothing, but yet, but yet you're mindful of us and you care about us and you think about us. So, Here's a couple of things that I take away from these first few verses. First is that our humanity can only be understood in light of good theology. Good theology. What is theology? It means the study of God, right? And, and everybody here is a theologian. Whether you know it or not, you're a theologian. Everybody in the world is a theologian. Some are better theologians than others, but everybody is a theologian. Everybody has thoughts about whether there is a God or there isn't a God. And who is that God? And what is God like? Every single human being has thoughts about that issue. Thoughts about God. And humanity, our humanity, who we are, what is our purpose here? What, what, is, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a man or a woman? What does it mean to walk on this earth? What's our purpose? What are we doing? What's our destiny? Does any of it matter? Our humanity can only be understood in light of good theology. And that the psalmist is thinking about humanity by reflecting on the bigness and the greatness of God. And then secondly, that good theology, thinking right about how big and awesome and wonderful God is, fills us with two things at least. One is humility, right? To say, wow. The universe is so big, I am so small. And if I am so small, 
how do I think for one minute that the world should revolve around me? How do I think for one minute that I'm really a big deal if I stop and think about myself in light of the universe, in light of the God who created the universe? So good theology fills us with humility, but it also fills us with adoration to say, God, Wow, if this story is true about you making your covenant with Abraham and with Abraham's offspring and now with Jesus, Abraham's true seed and with all of Jesus' people and if you really do hear us when we pray and you really do care about us and think about us and love us, we adore you, Father. We're crazy about you. We love you more than words can express. Good theology fills us with humility, realizing how small we are, but it fills us with adoration, realizing how wonderful he is. But here's here's the surprising part. Look at verse 5. Yet. Yet. Why yet? Because we're tiny. We're specks of dust on a moving rock around the sun, right? I mean, we are tiny little creatures in this universe. Yet, you have made him, him who? Him, us, him, humanity. You have made him a little lower than, the Hebrew word there is Elohim, spiritual beings, heavenly beings. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and, this is shocking stuff. It should absolutely blow us away. You have crowned him. You've what? Crowned him. Who? Who's the him? Humanity. You've crowned humanity with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. That's the shocking part of good theology. The surprising part of good theology is that God chose to crown humanity with glory and honor and give them dominion over his creation. And isn't the psalmist reflecting on the creation story here? Isn't this what Adam, Adam, and Eve were given? Dominion and rulership? God created them to co-rule with himself, didn't he? And he gave them the creation and told them to rule over it. Adam even named the animals. And he said, hey, cultivate the land and take care of the garden. This, This is humanity's destiny. This is what humanity was created to be. This is what humanity should be. Crowned with honor and glory, and given dominion over the creation. But as we reflect, it's one thing to reflect on theology, right? And to look at scripture and say, yeah, that's, that's the way it should be. That's what God designed us to be. Human beings are royal image bearers of God. Every one of them. It's interesting, the psalmist doesn't just say that kings and queens are these things. You are. Slaves are. The poor are. Every human being. You will never look at a human being that shouldn't be 
crowned with honor and glory and given dominion. That's what a human being is. That's how they're supposed to be. But when we look at the world, we can't help but think something's broken, though, isn't it? Something's broken. And I can't help but think about Romans chapter 1. And think about how opposite what the psalmist is saying here is from what you see in Romans 1. You see, you can only live as a real human being when you give glory and honor to God. When you realize how small you are, how big God is, when you worship the creator, but instead of worshiping the creator, we've worshiped, Paul says in Romans 1, we've worshiped the creature, the creation. We've pursued power and pleasure. We've pursued riches and honor. We've pursued the things of this earth and we've traded the glory of God for the glory of created things and we've become less than human and we've become, as Paul would say in Romans, we've become enslaved to sin and death. Why? Because we didn't think like the psalmist. We didn't think like this. We didn't give glory to God. We weren't faithful to him. So instead of taking our rightful place, crowned with glory and honor and having dominion over the creation, we became slaves of sin and death, becoming less than human. We were made to rule, but through our selfish pursuits, we have created ruin. And isn't that what Paul reflects on in Romans. This is the way it was supposed to be. But we have made a mess of things. The psalm ends exactly as it began. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The only way for humanity to achieve its full potential is for humanity to recognize and reflect on and live in God's sovereignty. So let me, let's kind of recap Psalm 8, go over those three things one more time. Here's a summary of Psalm 8. Number one, our humanity can only be understood in light of good theology. Number two, good theology fills us with humility and adoration. And then finally, number three, the surprise of good theology is that God chose to crown humanity with glory and honor. So the big question here is, what does this have to do with Jesus? What does any of this have to do with Jesus? And so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2 that quotes from Psalm chapter 8 so that we understand what this has to do with Jesus and then how Jesus invites us to become a part of this new humanity. So Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5. Because Jesus is the one whose faithfulness Through his faithfulness, he became what we were all supposed to be. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5. Now, I'm going to read from the the New International Version because it translates it in such a way so that we understand that when it's talking about the Son of Man, it's talking about us, humanity. Listen to what the Hebrew writer says. It is not to angels that God has subjected the world to come, about which we're speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, 
that somewhere is Psalm 8 that we just read. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And then he says, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that, it, that is not subject to them. Yet at present, and here's that, here's that situation, it's like, but it, it doesn't seem that way, does it? Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see who? Jesus. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, right? Because that's what humanity was supposed to have. But through our sin, we messed that up. We became less than we were supposed to be. We became less than we were created to be. But through his faithfulness, Jesus was crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He broke the curse. He broke the cycle. And then it says in verse 10, in bringing many sons and daughters to, what's the word? Glory, right? And remember, glory isn't a place, it's a status. And those who put their faith in Jesus and are clothed with Jesus in baptism and walk with Jesus and embrace Jesus' way of being a human being, he brings these sons and daughters to glory. That we might be crowned with glory and honor. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. And the Hebrew writer, just like many of the New Testament writers, would remind new first century Christians, you're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to suffer. Because this life of being a new kind of human being Jesus models it for us in the cross. This type of faithfulness, this type of self-giving love that puts others above self, that seeks the glory of God, that seeks the good of others, that gives itself up, this type of love requires taking up your cross and following Jesus. This pioneer of our salvation was made perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same, what? Family. We are of the same family with whom? With the one who made us holy. With the brother who went before us with the Son of Man, the new Adam who has gone before us. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them, what? Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters of a new humanity, embracing a new way of being human. 
God created us to be royal image bearers. And Jesus has led the way and shown us exactly what that looks like. And he has redeemed us, broken us out of the slavery into which we put ourselves of being less than human and being baptized into Jesus and raised up with him. We have this opportunity to live out this new humanity. But in order to embrace this new way of being human, his faithfulness and self-giving love, we have to understand that the road to glory is often filled with suffering and sacrifice. It doesn't mean that every one of us will end up being a martyr, but John says, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, we know love like this, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you have to pick up your cross daily and follow me. You have to deny yourself. This is what it looks like to be truly human. It's to suffer for others. It's to lay down your life for each other. It's to give and to love and to be faithful. When Paul talks about in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, this is what he's saying. This new life in Jesus, this new humanity in Jesus that walks by the Spirit instead of by the flesh, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be truly human, is to be filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Do we believe that Jesus is the Son of Man, the new Adam, the firstborn of creation, that teaches us and shows us what it looks like to be truly human, but not only shows us, invites us into this life of being truly human? So here's our moment of truth question. Understanding that glory lies beyond the cross, beyond the suffering beyond the giving of oneself for others, will you embrace Jesus' way of being human? And that's not to say that it's bad. It's better than you can possibly imagine. Good theology teaches us what it means to be a human being. This is the purpose for which you were created, to be crowned with glory and honor and to be given dominion, to reign with Jesus. But in order to be led to glory, you must be willing to follow him. Take up your cross and follow him. As Paul says in Romans 8, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Church, Jesus shows us what it means to be human and invites us out of the old way of humanity, out of the old way of doing life, and into this brand new way of being people, men and women, who are now in Jesus, children of God, co-heirs with Jesus. But it does mean you take up your cross and you follow him 
You lay down your life for others as he has laid down your life for you. This is where the blessing is. This is where the purpose is. This is where the fulfillment is. This is where the destiny is. This is who you were designed to be, created to be, and in Christ Jesus, you can be. But somewhere along the, the way, sometimes we lose sight of that and we need prayers and encouragement. Or maybe there's somebody here and you're ready to begin your walk with Jesus, to be born again by the water and the spirit and to live and walk with Jesus as a new kind of human. We want to help you any way we can this morning. So now's an opportunity to come forward as we stand and sing.